enough of that. So we're going to finish up today the series, this, The Real Game of Thrones. And I'm excited for this because this is um, this truth that we learned, um, that I learned from this has been so powerful. This whole thing for me has been powerful in my life to understand a lot of what's going on in my life. The thing that I learned that I'm going to share to you today on how to gain freedom has been central in so much of the way I live my Christian life um, since I found that. And so we, um, so it's the last day of small groups. By the way, small, small group leaders here, who, how many of you here are a small group leader? Raise your hand if you're a small group leader and you're here this morning. Um, if you are here this morning and you're a small group leader, I want you to come up afterwards because I have something to give you, and I'll, I'll try to remind you that um, at the end, but if you could come up, that would be appreciated. Um, so, our four goals the whole time have been to understand spiritual idolatry, so I hope you have a deep understanding of what it is and how it works, um, to identify our personal idols, that's, what, that's the purpose of the diagnostic questions, and by the way, the questions this week... Um, one set relates to last week, because we talked about, James says that our conflict comes from our over-desires. Basically, our idols are the things that create conflict in our lives, because I'm losing something that's too important to me, and so that's what creates a lot of conflict. So there are some questions on here that have you, that take you to dig down into interpersonal conflict and to ask questions to try to find out, are there idols underneath that? And then on the back side are another set of questions that um, I have even found in my own life that, um, how many of you like going to Colorado? I love going to Colorado. When you go, like take off your shoes, walk in a cool stream, crystal clear, right? And whenever you step into a stream, it's crystal clear, but once you step into it, um, what usually happens to that? There's silt and mud and stuff in the bottom, and it comes up, and it's not so crystal clear. And so a principle I've learned is a lot of times when something is, is that I'm idolizing, whether it's, I mean, I'm not in school anymore, or if it's racquetball, um, that if there's something that you're idolizing, that sometimes God eventually will get to the point that He will step into your life to show it to you. And what he, He'll do is He'll allow something to come in your life that's very difficult, and when he does that, what's happening is that difficulty will rise up the silt in your heart. Because you, you all know this. You can be living along thinking everything's going great with your life, looks crystal clear to you, but there's stuff underneath that we don't know. And so there are times when chaos will enter into our lives. And I always take times of chaos to step back and even reflect and ask the question, is there something in this chaos and my reaction to it? Is there something that God is wanting to show me that... I'm pursuing more than him in my life. So if you would do that, conflict, how conflict shows us idols, how chaos will show us idols. And then we want to repent of them. We want to, um, our hearts should be broken that we break the heart of God by pursuing other lovers. And we should, even last week, when we understand how much they, they don't bring us the full life that we should repent of them. And then finally, the whole point's to been gain freedom. And I've been giving hints of this, and today that's really where I want to dive into. So we start with where I ended last week when Paul says, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? You know, who can set me free from my idols? And his answer is, thanks be to God who delivers me through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think you're going to see this more clearly 
um, as we go on. So I just want you to know that there is freedom from our idols, and it's not found in a pill, it's not found in a self-help strategy or a psychological technique, it's not found in your intelligence, in books, it's not found in skill or willpower, we'll get to that in a minute. Paul says that freedom from our sin and from our idolatry comes from a person, and that's really important, comes from a person. Because you remember, um, at the very beginning, I said idols, we tend to think of sins primarily as what? Do you remember? This was the very beginning. I grew up in church, not grew up, but when I started going to church, I thought for a long time sin was primarily rule-breaking. And I've come to learn that sin is actually primarily relationship-breaking. And if it's primarily relationship-breaking, then the way to get freedom from it would be what? Restoration and refocus on the relationship. So that's why that's so important. So, I think our natural human response to bad things in our lives, to anything negative, is we just want to get rid of it, right? I think we, to forcibly remove it, to like throw somebody out of the house, get it out of our life, um, I think we tend to think of any kind of removing evil in these terms, kind of like having a cup of sour milk and you just want to throw it out. And I think that's our initial response to anything we see as bad in our lives, and I think that could be our response to idolatry. I just want to get rid of this thing. I just want to throw it out. Um, but first of all, I want to remind you, in the book, he does such a good job that if I, if I don't see the things in my life that are good as gifts, what they tend to have to become gods, and the normal human reaction, once I realize I have an idol, isn't to come and accept it as a gift, but to go to the extreme and what? To treat it like garbage and to want to throw it out. And that's, that's our normal response, but that's not, I don't think that's the, the gospel response. Um, it's not if work's the center of my life, the point is not getting that out or throwing that out. And I think hopefully this will become really clear. Two things I want to say about that temptation to just get rid of them. First of all, um, idols are good things, Right? Frequently, they're the best things in our lives, and we shouldn't want to remove them from our lives. We just want to see them no longer function as the primary focus of our hearts, attention, and affection. We're not wanting to get rid of them. We just don't want them to be sitting at that point of the center anymore. We want God to be at the center. Rather than we get rid of work, right, we, we want God to be at the center, and then sports takes the place. Did you see how sports snuck in right over there, took the place? Because it's important. It's a gift, okay? Um... So, we want to allow those things to take their rightful place. That's the point, not getting rid of them. And remember, in the Bible, the Bible is the polar opposite of Buddhism. Buddhism seeks the elimination of desire. We don't want the elimination of desire. We want the transformation of our desire. The desire is good. In Buddhism, desire is bad. So, what we're seeking is what St. Augustine called a well-ordered heart, and he talked a lot about this, um, but it's, it's the idea that I'm loving things, but I'm loving them in the right, I'm loving the right things in the right way with the right kind of love to the right degree. Don't think too much about that. But the point of this whole thing with idols and over-desires, we're loving things with the wrong degree of love. And so I want my heart well-ordered, loving things to the right degree. I want my desires rightly ordered. We talked about this, God number one, Right? My wife number two, that kind of thing, you, that's how you want things to be. That was the whole point of the button. When you get the top button right, all the other buttons are right. So that's what we're seeking is a well-ordered heart. So we're not getting rid of them. We want them in the right place. And the other thing, the reason we just can't get rid of them 
is the truth is, is it's impossible to do that. I think you know the harder that you try to remove something from being central in your heart, you're trying to remove it, um, the more it will sink its fangs into you and it will cling to you. Um, that's why in Colossians, Paul says, why do you still follow rules like these? Don't handle this. Don't taste that. Don't even touch that thing. These rules are only human commands and teachings. They seem to be wise, but they're only part of man-made religion. They make people pretend not to be proud and make them punish their bodies, but they do not really control the evil desires of the sinful self. This is the problem with trying in the spiritual life. Jason talked about it um, a couple of weeks ago, this idea, I mean, about two months ago. Just simply gritting your teeth, working hard to take an idleness in your life and to move it out. Um, you'll never get it out by sheer willpower. You'll never, you'll never succeed in that. A frontal assault on your idols will never work. Um, the answer is not trying to put our idols in the right place. You, tr you try to do that. Um, I'm going to illustrate this in a minute. You try to do that and it's not going to work. Um, People could easily take this idle thing, maybe all along you've been waking up each day, I'm going to lessen the hold of, of work on my life, but by the end of the week you failed and it's back to the place that it was, um, and then we end up feeling defeated and guilty and exhausted from all the trying. Um, so that approach actually has the, the opposite effect of what we want. I want to reference Jesus, something he said in, in Luke. He says, when an evil spirit... When it comes out of a person, it travels through dry places looking for a place to rest. But when it finds no place, it says, I'll go back to the house I left. And when it comes back, it finds that the house, that house swept clean and made neat. Then the evil spirit goes out and it brings seven other spirits more evil than it is and they go in and live there. So the person has even more trouble than before. Now, I'm not connecting idols to demons. That's not the point. Here's the point. It seems there's a spiritual principle that to remove something from the center of your heart without replacing it with something greater. If all you do is try to get something out and leave the center empty, if you don't replace it with something greater, it's going to leave this inner vacuum and that previous thing will come rushing back in to fill it. And it seems to come back stronger than when it left. Um, it's almost like dieting. You ever tried that? You, you diet, you try too hard, too hard, and then you hit a point that um, you can't do that anymore and then you end up binging and you, you eat more than you were before and you put on more weight than you began with. It's, it's kind of that principle that just getting rid of something is not ever going to work. That's not the way to approach the spiritual life. So the truth is our idols are much too strongly entrenched as the focus of our heart's desire to simply be able to remove it from that place. They're, they're too strongly entrenched. So what's the answer? Um, I love it. It's totally counterintuitive. I find so much in the Bible is counterintuitive. Um, and it's this, that idols simply, they cannot be dislodged, they must be displaced. It isn't dislodging them, it's displacing them. And I'm going to illustrate this. Um, idols cannot simply be removed from the center of our hearts, they must be replaced. Specifically, they cannot be dislodged, they must be displaced from the center of our hearts. So let me illustrate it this way, displacement. I can, if I have a glass of, say, oil, I can get rid of it, right, which is what I just saying doesn't work in the spiritual life. I can get rid of it, or I can displace it. And here's how you displace it. Um, you fill it with water. 
and oil floats on top of water, and so as the water slowly fills the cup, it automatically pushes the oil out. So the whole focus of throwing out is on the oil, the thing you want to get rid of. But the whole focus on dis of displacing is on the water. Does that make sense? The focus is on the water, the thing that's displacing the thing. And it's really the same in the spiritual life. I was, this is my attempt to illustrate this. If work's at the center, and I don't want it there, just getting rid of it won't work, all right? Because what it does is it leaves that empty place in your life because we're created for something, and work's going to come rushing in greater than before. So what has to happen is, is I've got to move something into that place instead. And as you move something into that center of your heart, the work starts to move out. And then eventually it's displaced to the place that it belongs, and you end up with sports where it should be and God's where He should be. Um, so idols are not put in their proper place by being replaced, but by being displaced. I mean, not by being dislodged, but by being displaced. So that's a really important principle. Does that make sense? That is really, really important. It's not getting rid of it. It's putting something in that pushes it out to the right place. That's really important. So instead of focusing on forcing our idols out of the center of our lives, what we need to do is we need to turn our attention to filling our lives with something new, something greater, something more beautiful us than the idol. And what do you think that is? What's always the proper Sunday school response? <laughs> God or Jesus, right? Um, I don't know if you remember in week two when we talked about the turn to idols in Romans 1, it says that that turn toward idolatry actually began with a turn away from God. They first turned away from God, then they turned to idols. And so um, that's how the turn toward idolatry always begins, is that turn away from God. So the answer then is turning to God, and then as you turn to God, He allows you to turn from. Does that make sense? It's kind of reversed. So look at Jeremiah. Um, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have, they forsook me first, the spring of living water, and then they dug their cisterns, the broken ones that can't hold water. And so we have to do kind of reverse engineering. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9, your faith in God has become known everywhere. They tell how you, what, what, what did they do first? They turned to God and then from idols to serve the true and living God. So it's, it's a turning to Him and then as, we turn to, as I turn to him, I'm turning from my idol. Psalm 119 says this, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. So it's that turn, turn to God, and in turning to God, you are turning from your idols. So gaining freedom from idols, so first, they can't be dislodged, they have to be displaced. Second, gaining freedom from idolatry is more a turning toward than a turning from. And so, when we do that turn to, that automatic turning from, and then we're coming to the thing that to me was most powerful, which is this. Um, I think I've got my pendulum. As I turn to God and as I make Him central to my life, it, my, that thing, whatever it is, moves to the place that it should be, which is becoming a gift again. It's no longer a God. I've not tried to throw it out as garbage. By turning to Him, that thing settles into the place that it should be. 
When you get God right, everything else comes right. So here's the third, and this is the most important one to me. The only way to displace an old love is to find a new and greater love. And this is really the most important thing I want you to take away, and this is what's been so central in my own life. The only way to dislodge an old affection is by, Gene, here's the word, an ex, the expulsive power of a new affection. Expulsive, you ask, what's that mean? It's from expel, all right? The expulsive power of a new affection. Um, the only way to displace an old love is to find a new, greater love. So if you've got an old love in here, the only way to displace it is a greater love has to come in. The greater love pushes that other love to the place that it should be. Thomas Chalmers is the one who came up with that, the expulsive power of a greater love. And he also said this, the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it an object more beautiful. In other words, if you want to be free from your idols, you have to come to find God to be more beautiful in your life than that idol. He has to become more beautiful. Um, the only way to dislodge a beautiful thing from your heart is to find something more beautiful to displace it. That's the only way you'll dislodge something. That's why Brad Bigney says, grace has to taste sweeter, your Savior has to look better, the cross has to loom larger over the landscape of your life. You must show your heart a more beautiful object. That's what you have to do. And I want to illustrate it with uh, Shakespeare. What's the, what's the greatest, one of the greatest love stories ever? I just kind of dropped a hint. If it's Shakespeare, what? Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Okay, this idea of the expulsive power of a greater love. Um, I didn't realize for a long time, but there's another woman in the story. Did you guys know that? Who knows the other woman in the story? What's her name? Rosalind. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew Rosalind was the other woman in the story? I, okay, a few of you, the intelligent ones, who, whose idols is books, right? Okay. Um, just teasing, just teasing. So he at first is in love with Rosalind, but she will not return his love. And so one of his friends is like, would you get over her? And here's what he says. Is there one fairer than my love, than Rosalind? The all-seeing sun ne'er saw her match since first the world begun. He's like, man, there's nobody fairer than Rosalind. And so his friend couldn't get him to get his eyes off Rosalind. So finally he said, hey, there's going to be a party night. And there's going to be lots of dames there, lots of girls, right? Maybe you'll find a better one. So when he invited him to the party. And when he, went, when he went to the party, he ended up beholding another lady. And what was her name? Juliet, okay? And after he saw Juliet, uh, he began to pursue her. And here's what he said of her. You guys have have heard this, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. I'm not a Shakespearean, you can tell. It's the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, though thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. And I'm telling you, when he got a hold of her and saw her, he's like, Rosalind who? Right? Do you understand? It's the expulsive power of a greater love to get something that's beautiful out of the center of your heart. You have to find something more beautiful that displaces it. Um, and remember, idols are all about desire. They're all about our loves, our affections. They're all about worship, right? It's all about our loves and our desires. That's what it's all about. And you don't quench an, an idolatrous over-desire by denying it. You don't get rid of it by denying it, by trying to treat it like garbage. It's going to come roaring back in your life. You only can redirect it 
by finding somebody or something that's more desirable. This is what happened to St. Augustine, if you know his story. He was probably in today's language, he would be determined as sex addict, just was constantly pursuing women and sexual encounters. And then he met Jesus and it radically transformed his life. And here's what he wrote. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and you took their place. You are sweeter than all pleasure, you who outshine all light, you who surpass all honor. God became a more beautiful thing to him, Jesus did, and when God came into his life, that displaced that other love that he had. So you've got to get God to the passion center of your heart. That's the whole point of this. You've got to get him to the passion center of your heart. More specifically, you need to get Jesus to the passion center of your heart. And here's why. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we're told this. Paul says that the light of the knowledge of God's glory, and his glory is his beauty and his splendor. If you want to see the splendor and the beauty of God, it is found in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see him and his beauty, it's found in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the place you can most clearly see the beauty of God is in Jesus. So we must allow Jesus to increasingly capture our affections. He must become more beautiful to us in our imaginations and our hearts, more attractive to us than our idols. If you uproot an idol, if you just try to uproot it, it's going to grow back. But if you will plant Jesus in the center of your heart, that will supplant that idol. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. In Philippians 3, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider for the sake of Christ. I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the, the what? What's that word? The surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The surpassing love of Jesus displaced those other things from the place they had in his heart. Oops, I just shut that down. Um... Sorry about that. See if I can relaunch it. Yeah, now it seems frozen. So, let me try this. Okay, I lost it totally when I did that. You can still see it? Okay. Skylar, can you control it from back there for me? All right, would you do that? Would you do the next one because it's a hymn? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands. And Voskamp said this, Is Jesus merely useful to you, or is He ultimately beautiful to you? When Jesus is merely useful to me, I want Him to move my world. When Jesus is ultimately beautiful to me, it's my heart that is moved and this begins to change the world. We have to really become convinced on our gut that Jesus is the all-surpassing one, that only He is all-satisfying, that He is all-sufficient. If you want to be free of your idols, you have to come and find God, and specifically Jesus, more beautiful and attractive to you than them. Andrew Murray said this, we're wanting to find God to be our chief care, our highest virtue, our only happiness. And if we do that, if we make God the center, and if you'll do the next one for me, 
If we get Him in that right place as the center, those things fall in their right place as gifts from Him that we enjoy, but we enjoy appropriately because God's at the center of our heart. So the question is, is how do we do that? How do we do that? And it's this. The only way to gain freedom from our idols is by reorienting and recentering our hearts and our lives on God. We do that by intentionally giving Him our attention. Only then will He gain our affection and our devotion. Because what you give your attention to is what gets your affection. Do you know that? What you give your attention to is what gains your affection. So we have to intentionally focus on Him. This summer... We did, uh, yeah, so when we intentionally give him our attention, he will gain our affection and our devotion. And the next one, Skylar. Principle, principle of the path this summer, if you were here, do you remember this? Attention determines my direction, which in turn determines my destination. As my eyes go, that's how I go. So attention is crucial to this. If I want him to become the, the thing I find most beautiful, I need to give him my attention. Um, I need to purposely turn my attention to him and to gaze upon him. And I think we do this through just those classic spiritual disciplines. Um, specifically, setting the mind and heart upon. And setting the mind and heart upon is really important. John Bunyan, in The Pilgrim's Progress, it says, At the gates of Vanity Fair, Christian met a man who entreated him and his companion. Let the kingdom be always before you. Set your faces like a flint. You have, you have all power in heaven and earth on your side. So it's that setting of your face, setting your mind and your heart on Him. And this is really biblical. Colossians 3, 1 to 2. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. We set our eyes not on what we see, but what we cannot see. Next one. Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And I think I've got one more. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask in the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. The way that God will become more beautiful in my life is I have to set my attention on Him. I have to intentionally do things that set my attention. This hymn says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And that's that whole principle of displacement, right? If I turn my eyes to Him and I look in His face, the other things start to dim and to get in their proper place. But it's that turning to, not turning from. It's not getting rid of, it's displacing. It's not dislodging, it's displacing. It's finding God more beautiful. So, a few recommendations on disciplines. Um, it's just, it's the things we all know. Um, but what we want is we want to do things, and I think this is the next one, we want to do things that help us to regularly seek God and encounter Him personally. Encounter Him, not just a knowledge thing, but encounter Him personally. G.K. Bill said, God's presence brings life and light. Since true life and sustenance are found in the presence of God, we must regularly drink deeply from the river of His delights. Regularly drink deeply from the river of His delights. And I know this sounds really cliche. Maybe some of you it doesn't, but some people it probably does. But 
We want to spend daily time encountering God through His Word and His prayer, something that after I became a believer was called a quiet time. And I know, you know, sometimes quiet times treated like a silver bullet. It's not like a silver bullet. But what, you know what, you know what a time, my time with God is every day? It is intentionally put, turning my attention to Him to find the beauty in Him so that by giving Him my attention, He gains my affection. And as He gains my affection and I find Him more beautiful, that displaces my idols. So that's, that's the whole point of that. Um, you're wanting to encounter God in a quiet time. It's just not knowledge. You're really wanting to encounter Him. It's asking Him, I want to meet you today. So, it's, it's time in the Word. Um, again, it's not just reading for knowledge, but I'm sitting, I'm opening the Word, and I'm like, God, today, when I read this, I want to learn something about you. I want to see the beauty of who you are. And so, when I read this, would you please show me something about you that's beautiful? Because I want to be captured by you. I want to fall in love with you to a greater degree. And so, you read it, not just for here, but you're reading it, like, show me who you are and your beauty. Um, we meditate, we think about those things throughout the day. We, we try to give it our attention through the day, even memorize Scripture if we need to to help us to do that. Even more specifically is what Jason called a few weeks ago, gospeling, which is really focusing on Jesus. If, he, if, if, the light, if the beauty of God is found in the face of Jesus, then you want to spend regular time in the gospels because it's the place you'll clear, most clearly see the beauty of God, I believe. Um, because when you, when you read the gospels, you're not just reading things about what God is like, you're actually watching God in action. So get in the Gospels regularly and do it again, seeking the beauty. Um, you know, and listen intently to what He says so that it, it comes to the heart and watch how He interacts with people. Um, watch how He treats the poor and the dispossessed. Watch how He treats children. Watch how He treats women. Watch how He treats outsiders and insiders. Watch how he treats the poor. Watch how he treats the rich, too. Watch how he treats foreigners. Watch how he treats the irreligious and the religious. Watch how he treats the immoral and the moral. Watch him as he walks earth, trampling death and darkness under his feet. Watch that everywhere he goes, love, life, and liberation springs up. Everywhere he goes, and read, read the Gospels, listen to Him, and watch that, and, and like, I want to see the beauty of who you are, because this is God in action. So spend time in the Gospels, and allow Him to increasingly capture your infection, affections, especially the cross. You, you really, you want to come to, um, to have that focus on the cross. You want to see, if I had my little drawer thing, I'd show you. This growing awareness of my sinfulness, we've been doing this with idols for seven weeks now. That's not the point. I think you've learned some important things. The point's not that. The point is the middle. It is, as I grow in my awareness of this, the cross should loom larger in my life. And so it's going back to the cross regularly because that's where we most see his sacrificial love. Oswald Chambers said, Skylar, you're really good. <laughs> Since mine eyes have looked on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside, so enchanted my spirit's vision, gazing on the crucified gazing on the crucified. Spend time in the Word of God regularly, daily, asking God to show you His beauty. Spend time in the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Let Him, let him catch your breath again. That's what, draw me to, that's what draw, drew me to this Christianity thing was Jesus so uh, just captured my, my affection. 
And I'm like, who would not want to give their life to this man? But in the drudgery of life, and then other things come in that capture our heart, we kind of lose that love, right? The first love. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm just trying to encounter him daily to get that back. Then uh, prayer, right? Talking with him daily. Uh, boy, there's so much I could say about prayer. Um, but I'm not going to say as much about that. But just talking with him daily. Go to the next one. I love this prayer from John Doan. And this is on your sheet, by the way, the diagnostic sheet. A good prayer, prayer to pray. Take me to you, imprison me, for I except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste except you ravish me. You know, make that a prayer. You're, what you're doing is you're asking him, would you please set me free from my idols by helping me to be enthralled with you, to be, uh, yeah, enthralled with him, to be ravished by him. That was John Don's prayer. So we pray some things like that. Um, you know, we pray daily. I'm in the Word, and you're in time of prayer, and pray is I praise Him, I repent, I ask, I yield. But that praise part is at first, and it's really important. That's where I adore God for who He is. Lord, I, I read you today. You're so beautiful. Um, in this thing in Corinthians, how that, that um, you don't kowtow to the, to the intellectuals that that doesn't matter to you, that you like the simple, I praise you for that. And then it's thanksgiving, it's saying, God, I want to give thanks to you for the things you've done, not just who you are. If you'll, if you'll daily adore Him and daily give thanks for Him, you'll find your, your heart being captured by Him. I want to say one more thing about thanksgiving. Yeah, you're, he's, he's good about the pointing. I'm, I'm gonna, if I point my elbow, that means don't, why don't you go back one. Um, the thanksgiving thing. So thanksgiving's coming up, right? Thanksgiving is really important if you want God to capture your heart. Do you realize if, if you're a negative person, any of us, we all deal with negativity to a degree, right, in our hearts. If I have a complaining, grumbling spirit, if I see everything and everyone through a negative eye, do you know what that means? That means that I really don't believe that my life, my situation, the people around me are, are gifts from God, and I won't be thankful. And if you're not thankful to God, you will never find Him beautiful. Does that make sense? If you have that complaining spirit, what it means is, is I really don't trust that he's good in my life. I don't trust the situations. I don't trust the people that he has around me. And that kind of complaining spirit, you'll never find God more beautiful if you have that attitude. So thanksgiving is really important, I think, in turning our hearts to him. Okay, now with the finger, good books. Good books. Live in the Bible and visit good books. Um, I have some recommendations these are some of the books that have most shaped me in my loving of God. If I were to start with one, The Return of the Prodigal Son is so powerful. It's one of my top five. Steve Lowen and I did The Pursuit of God, also very powerful. The Good and Beautiful God, I put my top three up there. But if you want to find God beautiful, some good books can help direct you, direct you towards Him. All right. Community. Next one. Community. Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He, raises against, he rages against all wise judgment. But when I isolate myself, and there aren't people around me who know me, who know my idols, you know, who know that my deep ones are control and approval, and who can point that out when I'm struggling with it, um, who know that family ministry can easily like get up there it's those people who know you who know that who walk with you who help you um even i mean steve you don't mind 
you know, Steve, we're about ready to finish a book, and he's been, like, talking, I, you know, let's do something about finding, like, joy in God. That's, that's the longing, right, Steve, is wanting to find him. Beautiful. So you've got to walk with people who long to find God beautiful, right? You've got to walk with them. You've got to be around them. You've got to be in small groups, one-on-one, small groups. You come in here because this is where we focus on him to find him beautiful. So community is so important. And then finally, worship. Yeah, I do have a community verse, by the way. Thank you. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are doing in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And then finally, worship. Personal and corporate. I need to do the things. Worship, I think, is one of the greatest ways to set my heart and my affection on Him. It's one of the main ways to find freedom. Right. Because that's the whole point. I hope you're leaving here today saying, I have to find God more beautiful. That's the whole point. Timothy Lane said this, we worship our way into sin. We must worship ourselves out of it. Isn't that a great quote? Worship. Personally, K-Love, K-J-L, whatever, personally spending time in worship with God. Corporately, coming to a place where you're not picking the songs, you're not picking the text, but you're allowing God to speak in something that's not of your own choosing, not of your own individuality, and being a part of a corporate worship, those things are really important because these are places that help us to see the beauty of God and to recenter and refocus on Him. Because the only way we'll be free is if those things are displaced from our heart, the expulsive power of a greater love. So, I think the only appropriate way to end is with worship. Would you agree? So, could we have a, a time um, with the worship team of, of worship and focus on Him?